Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert Rand, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about product information management, and we're going to try to answer the question, should you be using a PIM to store, enhance, and publish your product information, your, your product data? Uh, with me today, I've got John from the Jasper PIM team. And uh, John, would you do the honors of introducing yourself? Sure. Um, well, hi, Robert. Good, uh, good to see you. And thanks uh, for taking the time and, uh, and getting me up here on your podcast today. Uh, so I'm John Marcella. I'm the founder and CEO of Jasper PIM. We are a product information management company. Uh, and I have been in the industry for about 20 years. I started as a systems integrator and worked uh, at a variety of capacities, uh, including a CTO, and, uh, and moved into um, product information. It's a really exciting topic, uh, serving e-commerce merchants. Awesome. And uh, one of my favorite questions to ask tech companies, how did Jasper get its name? Um, it's not your middle name, is it? No, no, that would, that would actually be really cool. Um, well, we, we, we have a story for that, a brief one. And uh, so Jasper is, is actually a gemstone. It's a lesser known gemstone. It's wildly uh, um, varietal. And, uh, but our color and our choice of it was actually a rare gemstone. It's only found in Madagascar. So ocean Jasper is a really kind of teal color, which represents the logo. Also Jasper, Alberta, beautiful place in Canada. We're a Canadian business. Uh, we liked the mountaintops, snow peaks. We use that motif a fair amount. And uh, just the idea of, you know, rugged mountaintop, uh, you know, stability, integrity, things like that. It's, we just, that's how we kind of named the brand. Jasper is easy to say, rolls off the tongue. And, and a little bit less romantic is that um, Onyx, Sapphire, those things were taken 20 years ago and I registered all the domains. So Jasper also is free. I registered about 17 different Jasper permutations. And, uh, well, as long as, you know, we know that the theme that you were going for was something precious and, um, maybe now one day when, when the, you know, after you hit your, uh, your millionth customer or so you'll take the team to Madagascar. I don't know. You'll, you'll go pick up some, sure. some fresh Jasper. On a private jet. Always an interesting story <laughs> behind these company names. Um, so for our <laughs> listeners that might not, um, have used a PIM tool before, might not be as familiar, can you? Describe a little bit, um, just at a high level, around what is PIM? Sure. So PIM is Product Information Management. A PIM solution is a solution that allows you to manage your product information uh, in a very centralized and focused, powerful way. So if you're an e-commerce merchant and you want to manage your products... Many e-commerce merchants do that directly in their shopping cart platform. A product information management is a step system is a step back from that, where you put all of your products into a PIM solution first, and you can do things that are very powerful, very focused on um, a number of topics, which we'll get more into. But um, in general, what it does is it rounds out some of the edges and let's say the weaknesses of the uh, shopping cart platforms. So it's a very it's a very focused tool to allow you to organize, centralize, and manage uh, and merchandise uh, and list your product information. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny how I, I think so many folks spend so much time focusing on making things pretty and making things, uh, you know, have different wow factor really. Um, you know, a lot of user experience, but sometimes they forget about just the value of that product data itself. And I know you have a history in back end systems 
Um, if I remember correctly, the team started out more on the, the systems integration side. How did you wind up really focusing on PIM? Was there something in particular that, um, that really woke you up to a need in the market around product data and information? Yeah, that's a really great question. So PIM came upon us very organically. Back in 2010, uh, we started to focus what used to be a TV entertainment company into an e-commerce agency and systems integrator. And so this was back when Magento was in its early heyday. Uh, that was the first platform we used to bring uh, some of our uh, merchants online. And that was the first foray into the e-commerce space in general. Really what we started to do as a as a really kind of a more of a back office, backend focused systems integrator was we started to develop tooling for uh, accounting integration with uh, Magento as a front office, also connecting things like point of sale um, and also other types of systems like, for example, your loyalty programs. So we were doing really deep uh, back office integration work and we discovered the need for PIM uh, very much just accidentally uh, by virtue of Hey, you know, the, these, some of these platforms are not really good and focused at, uh, at doing a good job of, of merchandising, organizing, you know, powerful product tooling. Um, and so we found this big gap in the market. At the time, we called our technology early stage, we call it a product control system before the PIM acronym existed. Uh, so yeah, we've been in that space for quite a while and that's kind of how we stumbled upon PIM. Wow. I don't remember a time talking about something equivalent to PIM before PIM. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yes. yeah, that's great. Cr that's great. So, you know, obviously there are users today that don't have a PIM, haven't evaluated a PIM. Is there any kind of a magic threshold in terms of the number of products you're managing to really benefit from PIM software? Is it, you know, if you've only got 10 products, you can manage them wherever you need to, <laughs> you know, roll up your sleeves and uh, you don't need another piece of software in the mix. But if you have 10,000, uh, you're probably asking for trouble as a, as a business that's selling in multiple places or that's using multiple software systems and trying to manage all the data uh, in one of those silos. Exactly. Yes. So great. Uh, so on the subject of, uh, let's say maybe a smaller merchant that, you know, has a very small number of, of product SKUs. So you said 10 as an example. Um, the interesting thing is it's not so much how many product SKUs you have as a base merchant. When you think about how many products do I have versus how many different ways do I sell it? But if I have 10 products and I sell it one way on one single channel, I'm not going to get the same level of value from a pimp. Interestingly, we have some customers um, and we've seen in the market uh, merchants using a PIM with 50 SKUs, 50 base products. However, the, the matrix of child product that ends up on their various selling channels, they're a bigger merchant, uh, amounts to thousands and thousands and thousands of SKUs that get automatically published at different prices with different nuances and subtleties. It's just amazing and powerful tool for them. So there's no real golden rule. However, what we have observed a really great, uh, you know, sort of incremental, really fast building curve. If you have 500 SKUs, you probably already need a PEM. You just don't know you don't what you don't know. And so I'll pull at that thread a little bit. If why is it that merchants that should be using a PIM aren't today? When your team, when you have conversations with businesses. 
Uh, is it that they didn't know what a PIM was? Is it that um, is it a, a cost issue? Is it you know is there something that usually resonates as you're having these conversations that uh, that you hear frequently um, why they haven't made the leap yet? Yeah, there's a few reasons we find. Um, one is. Uh, there is still a bit of education in the market uh, in the space around that. So uh, maybe four years ago, not a lot of people had even heard of PIM. Uh, merchants were saying, hey, what's a PIM? Why do I need one? Um, fast forward to even last year or the year before, especially last year, now merchants understand what a PIM is more so and they're asking for it and demanding. So demand and, and awareness has increased. However, yes, there are still a lot of people that don't know what a PIM is, aren't sure why they need it. Uh, other barriers to entry for a PIM is the fact that it is also generally a piece of middleware. It is something that you connect with other systems. Um, it immediately amps up your game as far as a merchant that, for example, let's say I have a Shopify store and I, you know, I, that's my, my complexity of my, my e-commerce environment right now. And so now I want to introduce this new thing, this extra thing. I, you know, as a merchant, unless I really understand the value, I see extra cost. I see, technology risk. I see, uh, you know, um, dependency on other vendors and things like that. And that exponentiates as you add more, more, you know, sort of uh, puzzles into the pieces, uh, as it were. So um, I think other things are just in general, um, you know, a, a, you know, maybe just a sentiment of, hey, I'm already managing all of my products. I've made a big investment in putting them all in my existing e-commerce store. You know, it just sounds like a lot of work. I don't get the benefit. I don't get the value proposition. So, so that is typically the things that block people from using a PIM. Yeah. Again, they, they kind of don't know what they don't know and they don't know how good it can be until they put one in. Yeah. You know, is it also related to the number of sales channels? Do you find that they're more likely to come looking for a PIM tool as they're adding on more e-commerce storefronts, marketplaces, more other um, software that, that they're trying to connect data with and that they're finding that their data is a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And I'll, I'll elongate that question just, you know, be, because that's who I am, right? Uh, <laughs> would you say that as businesses are getting online, um, including established businesses, I mean, that's something that we're seeing with the current, um, you know, pandemic, uh, you know, with the coronavirus crisis that we're all living through, that businesses yeah. are, are adding newer e-commerce channels is or is that the sort of thing where they wake up and say, "Oh, you know, the the data that's sitting in my ERP or point of sale or what? It's not really customer facing. I need something where I can really get this ready for market for these online channels." Yes, excellent call out. So, what what brings people to become a you know a PIM uh, advocate and then ultimately a cheerleader is the pain point. The first one observed is I have all my products in my single store. And I realize now that I want to be able to do a multiple, I want to do my store in a different language, or maybe I'm selling in a business to business context and I want to release business to consumer. Um, or I, you know, I find that I want to put up a specialty storefront. Like I want to do, you know, 50% of my stock, my best selling stuff. I want to put it up somewhere else, maybe on Amazon, not all my products, but on Amazon. And now I'm looking at, wow, I'm going from managing all of my products in one place to managing them in three. And chances are, I've already been managing a bunch of my product information and spreadsheets over here and in another system over there. So now the, the complexity of where all I have to manage my products just gets out of control fast. So that is when people go, 
Oh, there's a, oh, that's what PIM is. Oh, PIM help with that. Fantastic. That's what, that's how they enter our pipeline. That's so so often I talk to folks in the industry that work with data in one way or another. And when they talk about their mid-market and enterprise clients, they often list as one of their biggest competitors technologically, Microsoft Excel. <laughs> There's so much data that's still managed through spreadsheets as opposed to in centralized hubs. And um, you know, I, I, I think <laughs> we don't always want to admit it, um, but, but that's still... Um, a case for it. So when we are talking about data that's managed in what I'm going to refer to as either legacy systems or in data silos and a system that was not built to be customer facing or that was not built to handle data as it needs to be properly formatted and set up for different sales channels, like Amazon has requirements of different attributes than eBay does or, you know, pick your poisons, right? Uh, you're going to have to do things to make this data work for different users in different situations or different platforms. What are some of those things that that sometimes come up missing um, that there's just no field or there's no good way to handle it in some of these systems that companies start with? Um, do you find that in particular, there are challenges that they just they have a really hard time meeting. Maybe that's what drives them into Microsoft Excel and out of their their point of sale or ERP or whatever else they're using. Yeah, great question again. So a few things come to mind when you're a um, small or large merchant and you're managing your products either inside of your ERP, uh, your accounting platform, or you're doing it inside of spreadsheets. Um, the, 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 the first limitations you have for sure is like, you know, being able to do workflow management, have multiple users on your team, start to get involved, um, and, you know, do things in a more controlled fashion. So you end up with a lot of data errors, data management problems, duplication problems, um, you know, consistency, version control to name a number of things, um, that problems that you'd have. Um, as far as that's concerned, the other thing is manually hand bombing product content from one system into all of your listing channels is another big problem. So once you have more than your, your, your information in more than one place, you're now having to copy and paste and copy and paste. So, um, yeah. So we're talking about taking down manual data entry, which, you know, saves effort, also often cuts down human error um, when you're automating the system. Uh, so, so that makes sense. I get getting things to market faster because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's push button or, or automated. Um, you don't have some of those issues. Uh, I, I imagine in some cases, it, it also must help merchants enter new markets more easily because they can do that without nearly as much manual effort. Yes, definitely. So that's, that's another big value element is, so I'm looking to, let's say, expand geographically. And so I have a store in certain technology in a certain region, and I want to start selling in a brand new platform. But I don't want to have to do everything I've already done. I've done all this great work on my product information. Because I have a PIM, I, it's everything is just in one great place. And so now I just simply need to connect this other new thing over here. And inside my PIM, I set up some small publication rules the good PIMs have a really good way of doing that. And voila, automation publishes it, automates it. Um, we've seen merchants that have, you know, 50, 100 different storefronts, all very cost-effective SaaS, um, you know, commerce platforms that are using a single PIM 
to literally power and kind of dominate their uh, their their space in that way, just in terms of, hey, wow, this used to take uh, you know my entire team hundreds and hundreds of hours of effort, and even down to a single merchant who will spend. And what we found, if if we like data, is most people spend fifty percent of their entire time working on product management, uh, doing a lot of redundant work. They don't know how redundant it is. And if we if we say if we can if we can save that time, think about that. You know, applied over many other mer- like the bigger you are, the more staff you have, the more time you save with a pimp. But even a single merchant doing everything themselves can save enough time to really make it worth their while. Yeah, and you also have different people in different departments. Uh, we talked about this on a, a yes. recent episode. Uh, you know, where where we talked about um, you know basically the optimization of of some of this this data. Uh, you know, the ability to really uh, deal with taxonomy and, and a lot of issues with it. When you've got a tool set, you can pull a team together around it. So um, I, I imagine that that's also that if your team is providing training materials or other things that you're probably seeing that organizations now have more people accessing and working this data than they're used to, than maybe before, wherever it was, there was a developer or a merchandiser or somebody that was ultimately responsible. And now there's a bit of a hierarchy in some cases. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent call out, Robert. Just in that, that notion is that uh, e-commerce technology in general has matured so much that that's, that's a really great observation because many merchants uh, were, you know, had a bit of that, that sort of catch all autonomous uh, back in the early days when e-commerce was getting going or even not that long ago, uh, many people were kind of like, you know, the entire merchandising, product management, pricing, buyer, they were everything. Even in small to mid-sized businesses, it's shocking to this day, uh, you know, that we find such small teams working on such an important aspect of their business, which is their digital channel and their online channel. So that's a great call out. Uh, having yeah, well, if you think about how they would staff for a physical brick and mortar store in one location and yeah. the expense of the rent and the... Uh, all the the general overhead of that one store and the you know the the staff and management of that one store and you compare to their investment in ecom sometimes it's surprising that they even though ecom is a more global presence for them <coughs> nationally or or beyond they don't invest as heavily into it uh, and so I obviously not always the case but when that's happening I'm often surprised um, that the math isn't done in quite the same way uh, for businesses that have an understanding of how to operate a store and what it takes to grow and succeed with that. Definitely agree with all of that. You know, and it, it brings me to another, we've been talking about how the data um, in terms of back of the house, uh, how that process can be improved, uh, how you, how you can save time, save effort, uh, reallocate resource but then there's the entire opportunity for conversion optimization, um, because so often if data is just coming from vendor spreadsheets or from, uh, you know, from your point of sale where it wasn't really customer facing or some other system where it wasn't really customer facing, if you really want that data to shine, whether for SEO or whether just to make customers feel great about it, you need to work with that data. And so I, I imagine that's another benefit is having a place to really have the right fields to work on, including meta fields, um, attributes, things like that. Uh, you know, do you find that that's part of the conversation 
that that your team has, you know, kind of like in web hosting, people don't necessarily think of us when it comes to conversion optimization, but loading speeds and other things bring us into those conversations quickly. Is that another reason that, that PIM is, uh, is equally important to some of these orgs? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that really surprises people about the value of PIM when they are first exploring it is uh, many people right away get that, you know, this will save me a lot of time and money. And that's a big part of the value equation. But how exactly does it help me sell more and increase my velocity as well? So uh, reaching new channels is one aspect. This is how I sell more. But how do I conv- uh, increase conversions on my e-commerce websites? A lot of that comes down to quality of data, quality of information, the ability to batch manage your, your content inside of a tool that automatically publishes to your storefront in a way, including data, rich media. So you mentioned SEO content, SEM uh, uh, related things. So you know, imagine you at the same time as updating your products can also update your Google merchant listings with your e-commerce website. Uh, you cut down the number of errors you have, you increase consumer confidence. Um, these are things that have an impact on conversion rate. Mostly what we see specifically on the subject of we push, you know, product information management content pushes out to your selling channel, your Amazon, your eBay, your, your different marketplaces, uh, and your different storefronts. In so doing, it does a, a quality job of that and it creates better uh, ability to have better product detail pages, better catalog and category pages. So those things help with conversion. Uh, it's a little more subtle, but we've even seen people increase conversion anywhere from one to three uh, percent just by having a PIM installed. That doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is uh, the, the larger your company are and the more. Revenues. Oh yeah, now people fight um, for conversion rate, uh, you know, jumps that are <laughs> smaller than that in many cases. So, uh, especially if you're getting these other benefits out of it additively, that's that's always a nice uh, benefit to have. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking of on the data management, I, I keep talking about products and we talk items and SKUs. I started to delve into attributes and, and metadata. Um, what else potentially goes through the PIM? Is it the categories and category structure? Is it, are there other pieces of data outside of the, the raw product data? What is the overall maximum scope on a normal PIM rollout? Again, really great question. So beyond just what normal accounting and ERP platforms will let you store, so name, description, titles, basic pricing, complex pricing, uh, some extent to attributes, usually ERP is not particularly good at that. Pins can come in and really let you do complex faceting and uh, attributing down to setting up parent groups of attributes that then get inherited by entire categories uh, that save tons of time. Um, so yes, it, it, it does all the things that you'd expect it to do. It has to do uh, that an ERP would do in order to publish to your storefront and your other channels. But what else it adds is things that ERPs are not typically good at, which is image image assets, videos. Um, you know, we've even had people use 3D models or 360 photography automation, a uh, number of different frames, complex imagery that stacks and layers on top of each other to create really cool promotional feature items. The other thing it does is it allows you to store sort of parent data and then have children data that inherits from the master and overrides it. Like just maybe simply, for example, I have a master skew, I have a black t-shirt, and then I'm going to have a red one and a, and a green one and a blue one. 
And I don't need to redo or repeat all of that, but it allows me to go in. And let's say the green one has all kinds of subtleties and I have different attributes and I have uh, different price points for some reason. All of these whirlwind of complexity can be put into a PIM, typically not super well supported in other environments. So other things, SEO, marketing data, um, as as we talked about language content, multiple currencies, um, things like that. Um, yeah, that's that's largely uh, the gamut. Hmm. And is this a one-way data flow? Basically, you can push everything out from the PIM to whatever sales channels, or is anything, in some cases, collected back, any analytics or, or data? Um, is the PIM potentially ingesting anything or uh, bringing any additional value to to anything that's coming back from systems? I think that um, that a good PIM system is really, um, you know, allowing you to connect in a multiple number of ways. So uh, asynchronously it's at times um, where it can often operate as the master. So I will put my items inside of my PIM and they automatically publish to my store. I don't go into my store and touch my products and expect it to come back to the PIM. It's a one-way trip. Um, that's typically how we see people using a PIM in particular smaller merchants. Um, bigger merchants, as they get a little bit more sophisticated, we see them uh, connecting with their inventory and their and their pricing systems and their and their original, let's say, accounting platforms or even their CRM. And there are times where people will want to be able to make changes in their ERP. For example, let's say I'm the accountant and I'm the buyer and I put my product information in my accounting platform, my ERP back office. I don't want my merchandisers using my PIM touching pricing. So they can turn on rules in a PIM that say, don't allow pricing. Pricing is a pass-through. So whatever they price it in the master, the, the PIM becomes the slave. Uh, in the most, most um, simplistic term as well, you asked a question about data that can feed back. A PIM is connected to your selling platforms. So your Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, WooCommerce, other such uh, platforms. Um, and it can a PIM can be, be uh, configured to be, be able to pull in sales information so that the PIM now, from a merchandising standpoint, can really help you, the merchandiser, using the PIM to make business decisions that are based on what's selling and what isn't selling. And what's even more transcendent for larger merchants is, imagine if I can figure out what you're selling where, and I can now bring up some automation or suggestions inside of a PIM that says, well, you know, if you did this differently or, you know, things like that. So analytics, reporting, uh, things like that, that are very specific to, you know, uh, product management are typically can be found in a PIM. Some of it really belongs in the commerce platform. Some of it belongs in the ERP, but the PIM is really all about merchandising, making sure you have the single source of truth for all your content in one place. You know, I don't hear of a lot of problems or headaches around PIM, but I have, for, you know, always run into folks that just in general have challenges with their data. I imagine that in some cases, depending on the state of their data, the size of their, their data set, um, there's some work to be done to really get a PIM deployed and, uh, and working the way that you and I would want to see it working. Are there typical points of failure that you know you've seen over the years where you know companies just have a really hard time um, setting up a PIM or, or moving to this kind of an, a next level? Yes, 
what we've seen, I think uh, the biggest blocker to their success in the early adoption of a PIM is really kind of, I guess, underestimating how much time goes into organizing their product content for the very first time. So if it's a first time PIM user, they've got some challenges to get things going and setting up those taxonomies, which really means like, you know, the, the how do I sell it, where I sell the categories, setting up the attributes, the pricing rules, if you have multiple complex pricing rules, promotional, things like that. Um, so that is that is one thing where, uh, again, they really sort of don't uh, resource that internally properly uh, quite the right way. So if they're bigger and they have an internal IT department, the IT department is uh, either trying to get themselves involved or maybe they don't want to be involved. So maybe they need an agency. They find that they need they need help. They really need help. So they're either going to get help from, you know, uh, their their PIM provider or in many cases, what we've seen is. Uh, people who download PIMs and do sort of a self-install, we call that a DIY project, do it yourself, there, there is where we typically will find that people really get kind of in over their heads because PIM can be a very complex topic. So uh, I think starting your PIM ambition small and kind of growing, you know, I, I think one of the things we like to encourage people to do is think about your, you know, your top 10 or 20% of your product set. Why don't you try just, just wrangling some of that first and see the value of the product, the PIM, get that going in a prototype context. PIM is great to help you set up in a parallel environment prototype and then push out to another environment. So typically where they fail is uh, is in the setup and the and the startup, yeah, just more simply. I simply. love that, you know, KISS method, right? You know, take your top sellers oh, yeah. and start there. <laughs> Uh, you know, yes. and, and grow from yeah. there. Don't try, you know, tr- basically more of an agile method than, than a waterfall method in development terms. Uh, yeah. Makes that's right. Good, good sense to me. You mentioned agencies. Um, I, I know mm-hmm. that your team has a partnership program. Are there particular partnership strategies that, that you've found to be healthy as a, a company that's focused uh, on PIM? That provides the PIM tool itself. You know, do you work with agencies and others to deliver success, or um, you know, how do you find that that overall paradigm to work? You know, do you see yourselves as the software company, and then it's contingent on the user to have an agency or uh, internal resource to be able to really make it shine? Great question. So the pedigree of our systems integration background is such that. Uh, in the early days of enterprise PIM, um, as our product has evolved, we were a product company that uh, offered some professional services because we identified, as we spoke about just a moment ago, that merchants need you know quite a bit of help and they need support in getting onboarded. So, um, but our partnership strategy for many years now has been to work with sort of the world's best kind of global agencies, systems integrators, do a really good job of you know managing customers, uh, you know really helping them from sort of start to final mile. We are a product company, and so we want to stand up the best product information management solution there is. And so, in so doing. Uh, what we notice, and I think what many PIM companies will notice, is they, they typically do partner um, with uh, with others to uh, to provide those kinds of services, or maybe have their own professional uh, teams. So for us specifically, we find uh, you know we've kind of picked best of breed. Um, 
platforms work with Shopify, Magento, and BigCommerce. So, for example, Red Stage uh, is one of our partners. We work with them. They work with all three of the platforms. We are agnostic. We like partners that are agnostic. We want to work with agencies that work with uh, Merchant and whatever platform is best for them. So we've been partnered with BigCommerce, Shopify, Magento uh, for some time, and that's fantastic. Another agency we work with, um, Overdose, uh, they also work with all three platforms. Alpine works with several as well. So we've got some really great, uh, you know, sort of bigger kind of uh, agencies that we that we really uh, appreciate. And our partners uh, run the gamut of technology partners as well that help us with supplemental, um, you know, supplemental um, support on a number of different topics that seem to go hand in hand. So from ERP through to, uh, you know, data cleansing, data aggregation, things like that. So um, there's uh, it's a big big topic. But I think the strategy in general is that let's just let's just focus and become the best PIM and let the agencies, you know, really do what they do best and shine. And so yeah, it's been working great. Fantastic. Um, well, you know, you've been really generous with your time today. This has been extremely insightful. Uh, before we wrap it up, any final thoughts, uh, things coming down the pike, things new in the market, just the world being upside down or on fire <laughs> and any words of wisdom uh, before we wrap? Yeah, I would say what we have really seen is, um, you know, sort of the, the, the effect of, of the impact of COVID-19 on retailers has been really hard. Uh, and so, you know, many merchants have come to us and say, we need help really just, you know, SOS and white flag. And, um, and I think in, in the silver lining context, it creates a really good opportunity for people to really consider uh, you know, now's a good time to digitally transform. Now's a, t- a good time to be cutting costs. What we see is uh, solutions that are going to enable merchants to cut costs and, you know, and, and reach online channels. So, you know, their store is no longer there. Now they have to sell online. How do I do that? I'm, I have no idea how to do this. And, and I would encourage merchants uh, to, to take, take a bit of risk, but in a calculated way, um, you know, Set up, set up something, prototype something uh, that is doesn't cost too much, doesn't that has a pretty quick speed to market, test it out, and uh, there are a lot of great partners and solutions to help them do that. Now the the industry is really kind of in the past ten years, I've seen it go from you know million dollar complex projects to hey, I can spin up you know uh, some of these technologies in three weeks, I can be selling in five and uh, and really just or less. So. Um, yeah, I think I think just more of of and you ask the question about market as well. What do we see coming down the pipe? Just probably a lot more consolidation. I think a lot of merchants also suffer from SaaS fatigue, software as a service like silo fatigue. Like I oh I need this other tool and then I need this and I need that and all of them are supposed to work magically together. And uh, you know, so I think simplifying your stack as well, um, simplifying your e-commerce. In some cases, those open source systems don't look as uh, as bad as they you know the grass is always greener on the other side <laughs> uh, it, it's very interesting to see market forces at bay and and um, on the the note of um, small businesses and and other established businesses um, in need of uh, of change right now I will share uh, in the uh, the show notes in the, the episode description some links for orgs like keep small strong um, for anyone that's out there looking for additional resources and help, if you know a business that um, that needs those extra sets of hands, whether it's for consulting or for hands-on support, in some cases from volunteers, 
awesome. certainly, um, you know, we love to see businesses thriving. Um, that's what we're all about, uh, I think, as a collective group, as an industry and ecosystem. Absolutely. I think there, there's, um, we're also part of uh, support with offline to on as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Very similar kind of grouping of people coming together and helping merchants out. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's, this is a, this is a really good time for, for us to help out those, those merchants and really show them, you know, how good things can be when they can get going up and running and really recover, you know, give them hope for recovery there. Great. Well, to our listeners, um, thank you as always. You can comment, uh, like, tweet, <laughs> hit us up on LinkedIn, uh, mm-hmm. on, on Facebook, wherever it is that you interact uh, with the world online. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We, we love your feedback. And uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy selling.